What's up, guys? We're back with another episode of Unhinged with the iconic and amazing, the one and only Hunter Harris. She has a pop culture newsletter called Hung Up. The link is in the bio. It's a what's hot, what's not on everything that's happening in the world. What you need to know. She's got Jessica Simpson. We love to have her in our presence. Welcome to the show, Hunter. Thank you. I love the way you say my name. It's like, I feel like I sound so much more interesting. Really? How do you say it? I just Hunter? say Hunter. Like, I, no, I don't say Hunter. Oh my God. Um, but like, it makes me <laughs> so annoyed. But no, like the way you say it, like, it just sounds so like, I don't know, like, just more charismatic, I guess. I don't know. I love giving intros. <laughs> You're I good at like it. I feel like I could record everybody's elevator pitch for them. You should. You're like the Oprah voice, but like the Emirate voice. I'll take it. So what's happening in your world right now? Um, What's happening in my world? I am just honestly trying to get a handle on all the Love is Blind. I mean, we need like a January 6th committee hearing about Love is Blind. <laughs> so many things have gone wrong in the last, I mean three days I can't even keep a handle on everyone who is broken up should get broken up um yeah for a tea you're my my go-to but yeah but for the updates because last week you guys haven't already heard the episode of last week we have Zenob from we have Zenob from the actual show Hunter was actually keeping me updated on what I needed to know and helping me prep on a very short interview we didn't have that much time with her um but yeah you're typically my go-to so I just wanted to say I see you out here on the ground doing God's work and we really appreciate (laughs) you I don't know what it is about love is blind but I just I think it is like the perfect you know, just the perfect dating show. The scale of it is not as, you know, huge in terms of like cast as um, The Bachelor, but there's something about following a relationship from like inception to through all these like permutations that is like really scratching an itch for me. Um, And also I think it's cast really well. Like they do find Mm -hmm. very strange people, very like arrogant people, very um, earnest people. And it's not, you know, as like tongue in cheek as another show that I love, which is uh, FY Island. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Oh my God. It is it's, like me too. It's, it's because so I can't, I get, I have addictive personality and I get sucked in. So I only just finished The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, which I actually DJed at Kathy Hilton's house a few months ago. And I didn't really like understand the significance of that. Um, and I watched the show and when I watched the show, I was like, I've been there, I've been there. And there is a room that's just full of Paris's perfumes. It's like the perfume room. And my friend Maud, who's like a big fan of the show, was like, and they're like spraying every perfume. She's like, I can't believe we're here. She was like, I can't believe she was like a kid in a candy store. But I just get fully sucked in. Like I go on a Reddit threads, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Twitter discourse. And then I'm like binging the shows. Like my husband and I have set up some boundaries with like how much of that can be happening. Like not explicitly, but like I now have, I understand when I like reach the threshold of like, there needs to be a little pause. No, that I understand that because during mm-hmm. the like peak quarantine, my boyfriend and I would watch um, 
or not quarantine actually, but just like, I don't know. I feel like earlier, like not this year, but like maybe last year, my boyfriend and I would be watching um, Real Housewives of Atlanta. And oh, you're so lucky that you have some, you have a supportive partner who understands. Well, to a degree, <laughs> because at some point he was like, we can't watch it too early in the morning because like you watch Nini and then you start acting like, like looking for a fight, like wanting to be like <laughs> And she is like my favorite reality TV character, um, like mm-hmm. person, personality. So I guess it makes sense. She's definitely up there. For me, it's Tiffany Pollard. Oh, yes. I think, I feel like that's mm-hmm. like always a conversation who is like the most memed person. And, you know, I think Nini just really has like the recency bias. Um, but no, I think New York is like, I mean, the one of her sitting in bed with the sunglasses on is like so me whenever I don't want to do something um it will really have a special place in my heart but oh, okay back to what's oh, blind wait, wait also I love Jen McCollins I just have to put that out there she would be a dream guest of mine to have on the show Je- <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I love like shitty British humor which is why I feel like I lean towards the London dating shows because it's it's actually a million times worse like the drama starts from day one with those shows and like oh, everyone's fucking everyone. And it's like, they're less about, I feel like the American shows are, I'm an influencer and I have a platform and I have this project I want to promote. Like it's very like Kit Keenan on The Bachelor where it's like, shh, you were there, you, you had an agenda, you know, and I respect that. Like I'm a businesswoman, good for you. But I feel like with the American shows, maybe FY Island is different. Yeah, FYI, and I think, I mean, that's what's something that's interesting about Love is Blind. I think American dating shows really have this, like, expectation that you have to end up engaged or married or, like, in a serious relationship by the end of it, which is mm-hmm. not how life works. And FY Island really just kind of takes those stakes away. And it's like, are we going to, like, keep hooking up or not? Um, and there's also, like, a cash prize at the end, too. But... Um, well, you know exactly blind, what I'm about to do after this. <laughs> you know that okay. meme you have to know how you feel about raven and sk and mm-hmm. the scandal that is currently i i mean breaking the tiktok love is blind streets the interesting thing was he had all the signs of somebody doing exactly just that because he would say things like I could never do that. Like my dad has multiple partners. Like I couldn't even imagine, you know, like, you know how the cheaters always accusing you of cheating or like gaslighting you in some way. He had all those signs of being shady and no one picked it up. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. I think it was really because like, sometimes I got annoyed with Raven and SK because it just seemed like he was so like, um, it's like he put on a pedestal and I was like, this is like not a real relationship. If you like mm-hmm. want to like serve her and fly her out and do all of this stuff, I didn't feel like a really cohesive partnership. And she seemed like, you know, I guess willing to be adored, but also kind of like doing jumping jacks as Bartise is like spilling his guts to her. I don't I know. I think that was her intuition though. I think that no, was her intuition it, I mean, of being like, I know this guy is just not, I don't know. I have, it's actually like incredible foresight because if there's one man to not listen to, it's like, <laughs> for you. 
Um, oh, but no, maybe it's like maybe it's like SK was laying it on like a little thick because he knew that he like I don't know was up to something shady, but. The way that like, I also have to say the way that people like share texts on TikTok is so annoying to me because it's like, Mm -hmm. wait, please can I just read it? I don't need to be like read aloud to A and B. Like the commentary on like specific messages is so inane to me. Um, But did not see it coming, I have to say. No, not at all. Like a good pairing. I did not see that twist. I also think the mother element added so much more investment from a lot of us because we loved his mom and then we loved the relationship that her and Raven formed even after like things don't work out at the wedding right like the mom's in tears she's comforting Raven she wanted it to work out so then you really start to buy into that couple because because like up till that I was like are they just in it to be in the game like it just never felt genuine to me until like much much later on in the show I do think like SK's mom building a relationship with Raven was really good from the Raven point of view because it was like the first I feel like real sense of like Raven's personality and like what she was really like that we got outside of her like being in the like being in this relationship because she hadn't it didn't seem like she really built a ton of like strong bonds with the other women so Mm -hmm. in their like group scenes it was kind of like you know, whatever. And she even said, I think at one point, which maybe she regretted saying that like, she's not, not like the other girls or like, she doesn't mm-hmm. want to like be, you know, a homemaker or work in the home or any of that stuff. Like she wanted to like keep a certain lifestyle. Um, but I think they're like her really like building a bond with SK's mom helped us see her in a different way. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about how like the people who need to be breaking up, no offense, but actually offense are Matt and Colleen. Okay, I feel like there is something very dark under like underlying that whole situation because she looks like she's in a hostage situation. I, you know, I felt when like watching the reunion, I was like, oh, she's obviously like very uncomfortable because she feels bad. She addressed that too. She also was like, I know people um, made comments about you know, like me looking a certain way, being comfortable, whatever. But I was just, it was having to deal with the footage being shown of the Cole pool. Right. But I think there is something that like, definitely she was trying to like manage his reaction. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been, you know, I guess checking in on, we can say Matt's um, Instagram comments and everyone is like, boy, you need like therapy, counseling, Mm -hmm. just like, a warm tea like you are so ready to like pop off at her over nothing um but I do think ultimately Matt just has like the um oh my gosh what's her name the um Kenya Moore disease from Atlanta Housewives where like anything that happens he's like I'm out I'm out I'm leaving Mm -hmm. security I'm out and it's like wait you can tell his friends are also done with that Like, you know, when they're explaining the club fight and they were just like looking around and then hearing Colleen's version and you can tell that they're his homies, but they don't really agree with his version of things. I I think there's like actually a conversation. 
where they're like, even the jump every time. <laughs> yes. The fact that he's like, everyone calls me two date Matt, two date Matt, two date Matt. And his friend's like, uh, yeah, two date Matt. It's so like, <laughs> what is going on? No one, they're like, you made that nickname up. No one calls you that. Um, there also, no, I, I mean, think, honestly, is some insecurity that comes, I would assume, from the fact that she had had so many previous connections prior to him yeah, that she was really invested in. And you don't really see that with him. Actually, speaking of that, I would like to see more of who everyone is speaking to in general in the show because Zenam said that, you know, they date everybody and they date everybody intensely for a really, like, a significant amount of time and it, like, starts from nine-minute speed dates to, like, three-hour dates. And mm-hmm. I'm so I, – I feel like the series is too short already. So I would love to see more of that. Just, like, girls he didn't fight, you know, people – like, connections that didn't – click or like funny blooper moments or awkward scenes where there were no chemistry like I think you can learn so much about the way somebody's interacting in those situations they need to include that in the show yeah I do I think that would be interesting to see like what did just random example Mm. like Colleen and Bartise's speed date look like like because I think that would be so interesting to see, like oh the minute that Bartise like kind of drops out of the conversation and the, the minute that Colleen also drops out of the conversation you know just to get a better sense of like what someone is like looking for because I think the same would have been true of like um Raven and Cole like these weird you know sort of unexpected pairings to really get a sense of like what's important to them and what they are like how they're presenting themselves to someone who is maybe not so invested or interested um but yeah I think the only thing about that though is that the pod episodes sometimes are so like I'm like okay, we get it. Get to the... These are talking. That I'm like, wait, I want you guys to see each other and then, like, drama to start. <laughs> I do and I don't because when it ha- when it finishes, I'm like, that was way too short. And also, I want more tea of the living, like, the house dynamics. So kind of like yeah. a big brother-ish style. You know, they're all living in these, like, small houses with no access to the outside world. I bet a lot of stuff is going on in there that we're not seeing. Oh, totally. I mean, there are a lot of people who go on the show who don't, you know, are not partnered and they're like totally taken out of the edit, basically. Like there's so many other women that I'm like, wait, who are you and when were you ever here? Um, But but the real person who got away with actually being the true villain of the show, Andrew, because people have totally forgot about Tia Gate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as much as like Andrew's antics were out of control, just bizarre, still I'm like, it is hard to be the villain when Bartise, whatever his last name is, is in the room. <laughs> Bartise baby Drake is in the room. Like oh. that is so infuriating to me. And like things I couldn't agree more. Stop. Like, sir, you bring nothing to the table. I do feel like, yeah, I mean, even though Nancy is a landlord and I'm not inclined to be on the side of landlords, <laughs> it's like, Ortiz, sweetheart, you have nothing going on. Uh-uh. Like, you don't even have a barber that you trust. Like, this is, I know you're not the one giving me advice, um, oh but I think that, like, something, a dynamic that came up a lot this season that I hadn't seen before was, like, 
um, older woman, and by older, I just mean older than her, like, mm. male partner, like, grown woman and, like, little boy. Like, yeah, Bartiz, little boy. Zeneb, grown woman. Cole, little boy. Um, although I think that, I mean, I think you and I talked about this, that, like, Nancy seemed, like, really, despite everything, she, like, rode hard for Bartiz. like he mm-hmm. would say crazy stuff to her and he and she would still be like okay this is what I signed up for like that's fine and I feel like Zeneb throughout the entire season was just sort of growing increasingly um frustrated with Cole's like immaturity and yeah but I mean as far as the cutie stuff go after the whole Colleen thing that was like never you know I don't think it was ever really um discussed or talked about or even apologized for in a comprehensive like cohesive real enough way that yeah by the time the cutie stuff comes along I'm like she probably does is like triggered and Hmm. upset enough that everything after that feels like a slight or a dig even if he ultimately my read of that is just a pretty clueless and emotionally immature person yeah there's definitely a disconnect between what was going on with him, what was going on with him, because they also never really, or they didn't show it, have any real conversations about what either of them were looking for. So they were just on different planets the whole time. And yeah. the way that Cole would interact with her, I it reminded me of like dating in Australia where they're very blokey and matey and they're like, give you a little slap on the shoulder and they're like, come on, mate, like, let's get, go. It's like, it's kind of like you're like roughing, roughing each other up. Even like dating, like a, not dating, married to a man from Minnesota. Like it's that dynamic, you know? And so I totally, like the way that he said it, I was like, I'm pretty sure John said this to me many times, many, many times. Like, are you really going to eat? Like, are you really eating that? You know? And obviously they, were, they alluded to so many scenes that didn't make the cut which yeah. I asked Zeneb about and she said, you know, it's it was tricky with microaggressions because certain things to them like probably weren't significant enough to be in an edit. Yeah. Whereas like to her, they like resonated and then she'd go and like kiki with the girls about it and then it would sort of become this bigger thing. So it would have been interesting to actually have all that footage. By the way, also she didn't know that they were even going to play that. Neither of them did at the end of the reunion. Mm, it just played. Okay. And um, they had both asked for it, but they weren't given um, the avenue to, like, respond on air or, like, confirmation of it being played until, like, the reunion came out live. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because I think that was, like, a Netflix. I think I said this to you, like, Netflix, like, liability thing where they were, like, we have to show the scene. Um to like protect ourselves and show we weren't like enabling abusive behavior and like taking it off the air. Mm. But mm. Um, I think my, something I've seen people like really, I would say people who are very like pro Cole and are like, mm-hmm. Zeneb is like a master manipulator. She is like really trying to, you know, frame herself as a victim and whatever. But like watching the way that she talked about it, like the way that she brought it up during the reunion, it was like, I no, I think that she fully felt hurt by this and that she fully felt like he was trying to be hurtful and that he was like trying to, you know, dismiss her or diminish her in a lot of ways. Um, 
But again, I think it was just like, not, I don't know, what sort of like not a misunderstanding, but just like a total disjointed experience where like she felt that he was doing one thing and he felt that she was doing another thing. And they just like totally like ships passing in the night. Like there was never a real avenue for them to make it work because like they just had two fundamentally different experiences of that relationship. Well, you see a similar situation play out with Nancy and Batiste because he says essentially the same thing to her with, you know, physical attraction and and Nancy also internalizes it and handles it. But more in like a but in a more direct way. Like they have conversations about that. Yeah, Whereas I, mean, like I think Nancy, Nancy was pretty clear that like um I'm never gonna be like six foot and blonde and like have a like perfect like airbrushed body um and if that's what you want like this is I'm who you who you have chosen um but yeah I think that like Cole just didn't really seem to ever like really understand how damaging the Colleen comparison Mm. was and Zineb didn't you know push him enough to like um I don't know, push him enough and like make him acknowledge like how bad it had been. Not to say that that pressure was on her, but like at some point she has to say like, this is important to me. Like you'd really hurt me and we're not moving. We're not moving forward. Like we're just kind of staying stagnant. But yeah, because I definitely feel like the issue for most viewers seems like that way online wasn't that she felt that way, but more so you see it kind of all play out at the wedding scene versus it yeah. being addressed in the moments, right? And yes. I mean, even like leading with a prayer, uh, even as someone, as a viewer, like you feel blindsided. You're like, wait, what? The thing about the wedding and like the vows thing specifically, and I read about this in my newsletter that like as much as, you know, you see what she was trying to do, right? You see that she was trying to like teach him a lesson and make him understand how much that she had been hurt by his actions. Um, But doing it and also that she was doing it in a venue where he couldn't respond or like, you know, talk back to her or react or anything, but it like didn't really achieve what she wanted it to achieve because he was confused and he Mm. showed up to the reunion like, I don't know why you did that. And I still don't know like if that was like something you're doing for the TV or something that you were doing to like play to an audience or whatever, like it was not clear to him until they had a conversation about it at the reunion with like, you know, all of her friends and supporters, Um, which- That I don't understand because there was an entire year, right? Between that scene and the reunion. And like, can you imagine experiencing that and then walking away from that situation or experience and no contact? I'm, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, if your goal was to like teach him a lesson and make him see the error of his ways, lecturing him for, you know, to him, which was totally out of context is not really achieving that end. It wasn't until like they talked about it that he was like, oh my gosh, like I think I behaved in a like negative way. Like I behaved in a way that negatively impacted this person. Um, but again, I mean, it really comes back to Cole being immature and Zeneb like not actually wanting to have the conversation with him about like how just honestly annoying he is 
That's the thing. It's like, who's the lesser of evils here with all of them? What do we think about the remaining couples, by the way? Who okay. are remaining? Um, Alexa and Brennan. Oh, Alexa and Brennan. Mm. I, you know, honestly, I have always liked Brennan. I think he's like a very sweet, very like direct, um, just like genuine person. Mm-hmm. And when I think about him and Alexa, it's like they obviously like, have like a pretty like solid bond in that there was like never any real drama. But I did like that they acknowledged um, at the reunion that like for how much they love each other and like how perfect their relationship seems, they still have like, you know, quibbles and disagreements and like they're just the, you know, problems of, like living with your partner that like everyone else does, which I f- thought felt very realistic. Um, and Brendan, I don't know, his mom, I think, brought up something about how he can be like emotionally sort of absent. Um, maybe his dad's death. I really can't remember that part. But like it was something his mom was like, sometimes he can just like kind of go away and like disappear. But they seem to be like the most, you know, they are like the Lauren and Cameron. And as much as there could ever be another Lauren. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like, never. They're like the closest to that, I think. Where it's like, oh no, you guys just like kind of are like, you just go together hard. That's it. What's also amazing about these shows is like the lack of success that they all just... <laughs> the, the only one that's worse is Indian matchmaking where Seema Auntie doesn't actually have any successful connect- connections as a matchmaker. <laughs> closely followed by Love is Blind. I, I mean, I think they're all kind of like... I think we know now that the experiment is not working. <laughs> And it is funny that they they still like call it an experiment. It's like not just like the show. It's like oh, that this experiment. But I think what it shows more than anything else, it's like I don't. It's like at least to me as a viewer, the problem more often than not is not that like someone doesn't look how you thought they would look. It really is like oh, we had a relationship that had like no real requirements or stakes. And then once we get out of the pods, it's like, okay, well, now I go to bed at this time. You go to bed at that time. Or you, like, constantly make jokes and, like, want me to, like, I don't know, like, put my towel not in the bathtub or whatever. Or, like, you, like, want to go out to a club Wednesday night and I don't want Mm -hmm. that. Like, all of those things. Like, life outside of the pods is what actually makes things hard not whether or not you can see someone totally I mean you see it with Ayana and Jarrett in the second season it's like they're just completely different lifestyles nobody's in the wrong and it was clearly never addressed yeah in the earlier conversations and that seemed to be their main issue really totally um I mean gosh Jared is so I felt like from the very beginning I was like (laughs) Not him. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I just could never get behind because everything he would say about like, you know, like I love to flirt. I'm like hanging out my jersey. I'm like, this is not gonna work. Like Ayana is so um, you know, trying to work on herself, trying mm-hmm. to like build a life for herself and has, I mean, with good reason, a lot of attachment issues. Um, and he is so like he was always so kind of ignorant of those things. And it's like mm-hmm girl be serious I just wanted to protect her like I could not think of like a nicer sweeter person um speaking of types speaking of I want to know about you do you have a type when you're dating Mm. is that a type of person you go for 
I don't. Like, is your current partner your? T- would you say he's your type? On paper. Oh. Um. Sure. I mean, I don't think I really have a type, do I? Mm-hmm. I guess I just like people who are like funny, like who have a good sense of humor. And... How did you guys meet? Can we ask? Um. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on Raya. Same. <laughs> Like, hey, that's just what how it your, is. What was your Raya song? Um, oh my. Oh, You Don't Own Me by Leslie Gore. Do you know it? Um, yeah. It's like, and don't tell me what to do. And don't oh, yes, yes. tell me what to song, say. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, no, that's very cheeky. I think mine mm-hmm. was like, I think it was. Low Melly, I want to say. Really? <laughs> yeah. I listen. I love Low Melly. Um, so do I. So do I. Um, I I'm like ninety percent. Era. Um. I'm sorry. It, I was gonna say like Playboy Cardi Beef Era. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> beef Low Mix. Um. That might have been the song, but but yeah, I think Araya song is like such a funny marker of personality I feel like I don't know but um do you what's your what was his what was his song oh god I don't think I can remember John's either I do remember like the photos did you have a bio the song from the goofy movie like that movie so it might have been like uh that song um did I I don't think he had a bio I don't know I don't think so. I can't remember. If I had a bio, I can't remember what it was. It was probably just writer, like <laughs> a normie. I don't know. No. Um, but, but yeah. Yeah, I would, it's, it's interesting watching people talk about types on the show because John is not, he's better than my type. Let's put it that way. Oh, that's very sweet. He, uh, God, I had the bar so low. <laughs> there was no bar. <laughs> um, and I realize that now, actually. And I think that having a type for me personally cheated myself out of a lot of really great experiences because I don't have a great relationship with my dad. And so I think that, like, oh, it's so cliche, like daddy issues. Like, I always ended up with like really unavailable. Um, partners who weren't present and that's what I equated like male female love dynamic to be like mm-hmm. um I would give a lot they would kind of give nothing in return and John's like the first person I've met where like every day I'm like I wake up I'm like I can't believe I got to marry this person and Aww. he's so much better than my like my type sucks <laughs> my, <laughs> no, not to discredit the, the people I've dated in the past because some of some of them have been great but that's why I'm like truly a believer in like disbanding the type. But I also get it like physical attraction is important. I think there was a lot of validity to what um, the guys were saying about it. I think they just went about it in the wrong way on the show. Yeah, like, okay. They did That's it at the expense of people's feelings. You know, it's like you don't need to tell somebody they're not a perfect 10. You could say there are other people on the show that I'm attracted to. It's like it doesn't have to be a comparison and it doesn't have to be at the expense of like validating one person versus the other, you know? Right. I think that that was like the biggest problem is that it was always like, oh, like I'm comparing 
Zineb to Colleen or I'm comparing mm-hmm. um, Raven to Nancy. And it's like, well, that's like not a very fruitful way to even begin this conversation. Um, but yeah, I guess I am kind of, now that I'm thinking about it, I I really don't think I have like a specific type. I mean, they're just like personality traits or maybe like values that are important to me, but it's never like, I don't know, never like, oh yeah, they're not my type. And it's like, that doesn't really mean anything. Like that's not like, that's not like a meaningful statement to me. Cause that's like, I don't know, types can change all the time. Um, and there are people on paper that I guess I should be attracted to, but I'm not like the boy from the bear. Right. See, I do not get that. <laughs> I, do, I just, that goes, that, or I've evolved past that dating, dating that guy. Because I think when you move to New York, you date that guy and you're like, actually, that's a train wreck never again. <laughs> and, and so many people are like caught up on that idea. I don't know. It's just not for more. Mm-hmm. I do sort of feel like, yes, I, I, I love a swell situation right now because I'm in an interrelational relationship for the first time, but I can't swell that far. <laughs> you know, like there's got to be limit. I do feel like, yeah, I understand that I'll never understand, but I will stand. Um, but yeah, I, okay. So what, um, wait, what couple were you rooting for the most during Love is Blind this season? Sorry. I don't think we ever got that mm. answer. That's a good question because I feel like there really wasn't one for me in which I had very strong feelings about. Wait, you cut out. Sorry. You said you. Oh, I just said I, I feel like with this was the only season in which I didn't have very strong feelings. I was kind of meh. Probably Alexa and Brennan towards the end. Just because I really liked him and I thought he was such a wholesome and genuine person and her friends gave him such a hard time. Like that comment about him being the camera person, I was like, this guy is such a catch. He treats your friends so well. And like that's the one thing you had to say about him. Like, no. And so I was rooting for them in the sense that I wanted her to get past the superficiality of, having a big closet space and, you know, like things that I really didn't feel like were that much of a deal breaker. And it seems like they have. So what about you? Totally. I mean, I kind of agree with you. It's like something about it just being the Dallas season as someone from Oklahoma. Mm. I feel like the Dallas culture is just very like grating to me. Um, And I was just like, nothing is really like speaking to me. None of the, none of these like pairings or couples are like where I was like really in shambles over Natalie and Shane where I was like going back and forth every day like oh my goodness or like you were? yes I mean I I liked Natalie I thought that she was like for all of her shortcomings I don't know maybe because like we we're both like type a and shop mm. at Aritzia or whatever but like I was like <laughs> I understand that girl like she's right about a lot of stuff um wait so I need to know when with Natalie did you feel differently with the last airing of that whatever the like follow-up from the reunion was the where are they now um where they were at the party and like you know and Shana's married to someone else and she come you know 
I, I feel like the Natalie Hive kind of turned on her a little bit after that. Yeah, but like, listen, it was kind of like weird for Shayna to come at all. But I thought it like was, um, in retrospect, I think it's like better that Shayna just kind of like tried to put it into it early and like left. Do I feel like Natalie was maybe taking the whole situation a little bit too far and seriously? Yeah. But then again, it's like, you know, I don't know. What is that saying where it's like, maybe it's not even a saying, but like after this whole history of like back and forth and lies and all of these things, um, there's like not a normal or like healthy way for them to have a relationship. You know, that's like, mm-hmm. that's how I feel about Nev and Cole. Like if mm. this one instant happened in isolation, maybe it's nothing. But after like these little cuts and little or big problems, it just festers and it kind of spoils the whole thing. And I think that is ultimately what happened with Natalie and Shayna, because even when they talked, when they were at the first reunion, Shayna apologized, I accepted her apology. And it was like, kind of a done, like they were, it was like dead, like the, mm-hmm. the feud was sort of over. But then after that, um, when Shayna and Shane, you know, kept up a friendship and it's just like sort of awkward. Um, and I understand her maybe overreacting. Right. I just think that the issue should be with him. Oh, yeah. Certainly. But I think not because to be like mad. Natalie. Um, yeah. But I think that she also had, she was mad at them separately and then also mad yeah. at them together. Because she definitely was and had reason to be pissed at Shayna for like what happened at that one beach party. Totally whenever Shayna was like, she doesn't love you and blah, blah, blah. And so I think with that context, Shane, Natalie was pissed at both of them. Maybe because personally, I don't think anybody owes me anything behavior-wise except for people that I'm in a relationship or deep friendship with that I expect women to do that. Mm. I ha- or or I'm, just like, I'm just like a cold, bitter bitch. But to me, I'm like, that's standard behavior. And I don't expect women not to be that way. Maybe that's like, that could be a sad thing. But I expect my man who has loyalty to me and who owes me something. That's the thing. I, I, ha- I have this thing with people not owing me something. I'm like, oh, that doesn't surprise me. Or, and not that, that that makes it okay in any way. It's just, I'm like, yes, yeah, she doesn't owe you shit. And, and I'm not saying that's acceptable behavior. It's just, it wouldn't surprise me in the way because they're not friends and they yes. clearly don't get along and Shana... And Shane definitely had something in the pod. So I think Natalie has to move past the point. For me, watching it, I was like, you have to move past the point that this girl is going to suddenly turn around and be your bestie and act in a certain way that you approve of because she's showing you throughout the entire show. She doesn't consider or care for your feelings and you aren't friends. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because this does get back to like a larger... Mm, a larger sort of, um, I don't know, trend, I think that happens on Love is Blind specifically, which is that the women, you know, all form. By the way, just, I love that. You were like, what do we talk about? And I sent you a list. I'm like, but we're probably going to talk about Love is Blind for the full hour. Plus, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure. I mean, we can talk about this. For no, want. This is, are you kidding me? This is good. This is great. So something that has occurred to me more than once watching Love is Blind specifically is that I think there is just like this sort of gendered expectation of women on reality TV 
to either like, maybe it's like sort of in response to like the Bravo Real Housewivesification of like a cast of women, but like to like to be very close and like to perform that closeness in a way that like, I don't know, just feels kind of like false to me. Like if you think about like the Zinnab and Colleen thing, of Mm. course, Cole was the one who misbehaved and Cole was the one who like is at fault and is like the fuck up. But like if Iron Zen was positioned, it would be so hard for me to be friends with Colleen. Like 100%. It would be hard for me, Hunter, to like be friends with Colleen Um, because that would just like totally mess with my mind. And I think that on Love is Blind, they all kind of like make this united front it's like well you know i'm friends with you more than i'm jealous of you or more than i feel like insecure because of you on and, this season though i feel like i didn't yeah, really I get like, that in the previous seasons exactly with like the natalie and Shayna thing i did feel like okay this is like a real reaction to you tried to like date my man and Mm -hmm. then also like we're talking shit about me and yeah I'm like not gonna pretend that like everything is okay between us because like it's not they're never gonna be friends but you do see that with Nancy and um with Nancy and Raven definitely Nancy and Raven and and you know they try and like kind of smooth it over later on because they get into this full girls click vibe but they both go off to camera and say like I would never be friends with it and even you know Nancy's like baiting him, being like, I'm surprised you even had a connection with her. Um, totally. So you know. I it, It's interesting. Oh, you know what I love about the UK shows? What? Is that this does not exist. They're savage. They're just out to get one another, especially the guys. Like, they'll, they'll be like, that's my mate. We're besties. Um, but I'm going to get my graft on. And they'll be like, okay. And then they just like allow it to happen. Because they know that they're there for a purpose and they're supposed to date around and explore connections. And I'm just going to pull her for a chat. I'm just going to pull her for a chat. You know, it's it's really out in the open and there's no weirdness about it. And it's so normalized to the point where they almost can be friends because it's like they're there for one reason. And with the American shows, they're trying to all, they're so concerned about looking like good people. And that's my take from it. Oh, that they, they're too scared to be like, I'd actually never be friends with this person who's also going after the guy that I like. On what planet would that be a real situation for me? Yeah, because it did seem like anytime that sort of kind of came up on the show, it would always be like talked around or avoided in some way. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like this, this inherently feels sort of false because if we... Like, everyone speed dating everyone is one thing, but, like, if my boyfriend is choosing between me and someone else, that's, like, weird. Like, that's uncomfortable. And, like, mining that sort of um, disconnect and, like, those feelings, like, those tricky feelings um, always are exist, like, just outside of, like, what the show is actually showing us, which is kind of interesting. So I've never actually confessed this in public before or on air I mean my personal friends know this situation but I did like briefly like very casually see someone once we were like different living in um different cities it's a long time ago and he was dating somebody else and I didn't know 
um, like really dating someone else, but I guess they, I, I don't actually really even know the context of their situation, but he breaks up with her. We start seeing each other and they get back together. And now they're like fully together. I believe they like live together and have a house together and are getting married. And we see each other all the time. And her and I see each other in passing and we're like, hi. And I really appreciate that she doesn't try to be my friend or be nice to me and like vice versa. And him and I like have a, we don't have a bad relationship because we were always just like homies, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. um, I know my boundaries not to try and be her friend, right? Because that's, I know she doesn't want that. She doesn't genuinely want to be my friend. And I have no interest in trying to insert myself into someone's life that way. Like, I totally respect the fact that I'll never be her friend and that's okay. Yeah, it does feel, I mean, not to take it back to the Bible and by the Bible, I mean sex in the city. It's like, <laughs> Carrie can never be friends with Natasha. Like, that's oh just my, not gonna work. It kills me. I'm like, please stop. And even when she like tries to like be friendly and like act normal, it's just like not gonna be normal, really. I mean- Talk about a villain in a show. <laughs> I, yeah, listen. But she shows up at her office waiting. It's just like so like cringe and uncomfortable. <laughs> and it's like, wait, this is like never going. It's like folly. It's not something that you can take seriously, especially knowing the kind of person and how Carrie is relationships. Like that could work for Samantha, maybe, but like it's not going to work for mm-hmm. Carrie. Um, it's also a very selfish expectation to have because it's not an altruistic thing like that person is never really going to genuinely want to be your friend. And deep down you would know that. So you're doing it for, for your own validation that you're not a bad person. And, you know, like I'm sure that Colleen knows deep down that Zena would never be okay with that situation, no matter like what, you know, they can move on, they can move forward and they can be friends, but that's never going to sit right with her. You can't just like make peace and move forward with that. I mean, and even if, I think the only way, at least speaking for myself, the only way that I could do that is like, we're never going to be friends. There's like no expectation of friendship, but it's like, I'll totally be cordial to you. But that doesn't mean that I have to like perform, but like we are besties, Um, which I do think people in reality TV just generally always have to perform in a way that just always feels very false to me. And it's also exhausting. Like, who cares? Like, we're grown-ups. Yeah. We should be able to just, like, the, the situation I was telling you about, I saw them at a dinner a couple of weeks ago, and I was with John, and they were together, and we were like, hi, and then we both kept moving. It's like, we're not going to stand and have an awkward conversation. Like, what's the point, you know? Yeah, especially because it's like, you know, mm. ultimately, especially like in the context of, like, shows, it's like we're just, like, kind of coworkers. Like, we're not, like, we don't have to no. be best friends. Even people that you run into especially like you know at like events or like at dinners and stuff it's sort of like it just kind of is what it is we don't have to like make any more of it than it needs to be because that's sort of silly yes and speaking of the bible (laughs) you see it in the scene where um carrie and miranda run into big not sorry big um aiden and steve and their new girlfriends and Carrie's just standing there babbling, like asking them questions. And Miranda's like, can we please go? 
you know, the yeah. the four of like the two of their exes and their new girlfriends are just like talking about their days and going to see a movie later and like Carrie just like can't read the room where it's like this is not a situation to like be best buds in just keep it moving but I mean I mean that's just Carrie though like she loves to like mm-hmm. babble and she always talks too much and says something that she shouldn't and like puts her foot in her mouth in some way um so her trying to like talk you know talk over an awkward situation instead of just like leaving feels just very Carrie to me honestly which I yeah as someone who um is very much the Miranda like please let's just go mm-hmm. would is like maddening but I think it's totally what she has always done also I love the way that scene ends because they walk straight in they they like bump heads physically they're like going in the dark, wrong direction and they're so flustered something about that's just so like there's so much of that show that is uh, I'm sure at both as women who work in the industry and lived in New York were like Mm. but then you rewatch it when you move there and you're like oh I get it yeah I totally I mean, get I'm, this now I know that like I mean obviously it's like sex in the city and it's like a fantasy and all of this mm-hmm. stuff but like there's so much about sex in the city that is so like wait this is like like some part of this is real and like yeah this is like relatable it's like a real emotion it's not necessarily like a real kind of situation or like a real specific instance, um, which I'm, like reminds me that I haven't watched in just like that, which I feel really about, like, honestly, not, I don't know. It just like kind of came out at a weird time where like I was already watching too many things maybe, but I need to before. I respect two, like, that though. I respect that because I almost, I, if I could go back in time, I don't know if I would. I feel like it sort of pissed on the legacy of Sex in the City. They, it, 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 it gets so many things. It's so cringe for me. And I hate saying yeah. this because I, I have a friend on the show, but it just, it really made me dislike them so much more. And I'm like, I should have just left it. I feel like it just <laughs> like that is going back, to, going back and trying to date someone again after a breakup. It's like, no, it's over. Like, if this yeah. is over. You know, like, we already had like, the movies. Yeah. We already saw them in Morocco. Like, come on. Like, we got to let this one go. No. It's interesting. I mean, I do think there should be a show about, like, about, like, an older woman, like, dating. I mean, that feels like... I agree. There's such a space for that. Um, and I don't... Like, I would love for it to be, like like a big little lies, but like they're single. Like that would be so fun and like so like rich like drama to mine. But on I don't know. I kind of I like keeping them as like the kind of confused 30 somethings in the city. But 30 I also, isn't it funny that they're 30 something too? Yeah. I mean especially as me like on the cusp of the oh. cusp of being 30. It's like I don't know. I always imagine them like being ageless. And now that I'm like, oh, I'm gonna like be 30 soon, it's like, oh wait, no, they're like young still. Like they look still go out and stuff. It's not like a death sentence for them. No, totally. I it, it's but I thought they were so much older. Like in my mind, they were like 45. In my mind, they were like younger, but also I guess I'm only thinking like the early seasons. Cause Samantha was always like a little like just older enough that it was like she was 
always like talking about anti-aging or like something like that. But also I think it's because I'm almost 35 and I, when I would see the way that they would react in situations, I'm like, why? It's extremely, child- like they had very childish tendencies and yeah. expectations of the world. So, I, so, but you know, it's like white women privilege. Truly. And now that I'm thinking about it too, I started watching Sex and the City when I was like 16. So maybe I imagine they were younger, but like also older because I watched it so long after like it aired. So I don't know. Speaking of but, shows, I want to talk about White Lotus season two. Oh yeah, please. Where where are we at with that? Like how are we feeling about this new season? Um, hmm. You know, I have this like dialogue discussion going throughout the whole season with like the newsletter and with readers. And I feel like we're all kind of not, I wouldn't say that we are unenthusiastic, but it's not really Mm. living up to like the precision of the first season for me. Because I think like the first season, the stuff with like the teen girls was so great. The stuff with Tanya Mm. and, um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting her name. Um, uh, Belinda. Belinda was like the character that they were like talking about, like the women's yoga retreat center or whatever. Oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The dynamic between those two women, um, the mother daughter of like Connie Britton and Sydney Sweeney was so interesting. Mm. And then I think the Steve Zahn stuff was like pretty compelling too, as like a, you know, tragic sort of man child <laughs> just totally trying to fuck up his life. Um, all of those things just felt so sharp and curious and compelling that this season it kind of feels a little bit more all over the place and Mm. honestly I don't I'm maybe I'm just like in a mood but like this like cheating device is just like like just not compelling to me at all like I agree I don't care like whatever Mm. I think it's very clear that the Aubrey Plaza character is trying to poke holes in this other marriage and will ultimately end up destroying her own I think that um Daphne I can't remember that actress's name I think that Daphne has a very real relationship that might not seem to be so stable but actually in its like complexity and in their openness it is pretty stable um I think that like the sex stuff that like um Harper and Ethan are not having sex and like that's a big problem it's like whatever like I don't know it's so like nothing to me um but I do I have turned a corner on Portia because okay oh interesting once I I was like watching the most recent episode episode four Mm -hmm. and I was like this girl has really been brought to Sicily to work (laughs) and always tries to get out of working and it's so funny that she acts Mm -hmm. like she is like dogged and rigorous and so serious. And and every moment she's like, wait, can I get off work? Wait, can I like not have to work today? And mm-hmm. it's so like, beloved, you are as delusional as Tanya <laughs> is. Like you really are like not even doing a job. And I mean, I guess I am like, do not have the best work-life balance. So take it with a grain of salt. But mm-hmm. I just do feel like outside of like, after hours, before hours, mm. time, girl, like you're you're here to do a job, and I don't mm-hmm. think that any other person in her position, especially like a black woman or like a woman of color, would have that same sort of 
like entitlement to free time. Yes, entitlement completely. I'm like, mm-hmm. did you forget that like you're you're on the job? And I think that also the thing with like her and Tanya is that they both are so clear about like what the what their relationship is, like um boss like worker that it is kind of like no tension there. Cause like Tanya doesn't really take anything Portia says seriously and Portia does not take Tanya seriously. So. Well, you see in that one scene where she's like, I'd really like to spend time with this guy, like trying to like butter her up. Like he's at Stanford. And then she goes on that little monologue and then um, Tanya just doesn't acknowledge anything. She's just staring at her blankly. Oh, and she goes, Thank you, Tanya. Because that <laughs> that's like the... I think the whole season one was all of like those moments where it's like you say something and then I just totally ignore it and talk about myself. Mm-hmm. And this season has like less of those just inherently funny, but also inherently like oblivious, you know, disjointed beats that I'm like, oh, this is like actually how rich people act. Well, we can always re- rely on Jennifer Coolidge no matter what show she's in to bring that to us. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm glad that she's like having another white lotus moment because i watched her on the watcher and that show was just so kind of oh too much for me i like couldn't really after a while i was like you know the margot martindale stuff i was like this is fun but everything else was kind of like "Mm, not really my thing i was more into really the um the cut article and then like the first few episodes and then it just got so far-fetched i was like i don't know what is going on here and it's this should have been like 90 minutes it yeah. didn't need to be a series as drawn out as that. Because, like, at the end of the day, nothing really happens. Yeah. There's no and occasion, I think- you know, there's no closure. There's no conclusion. There's, and, and I'm okay with that if there's, like, a point of view there somewhere. Mm-hmm. It just leaves everything open-ended. Like, the dad lost his mind. The mom, I, I don't know. Like, there was just nothing really happening in the end. Like, the reporter, like, we still don't know. It's just too... Like, why did we watch all that to have no answers? I do think that, like, comparing The Watcher to, like, White Lotus, um, which are obviously different shows, but I think that, like, what White Lotus is so good at is, like, the drama and intrigue of, like, does my neighbor hate me and do I hate them? And how does that hatred sort of manifest is enough. It's, like, dramatic and interesting and, like, you know, messy and nasty and all of these things. Whereas, like, on The Watcher, it was, like, that's not enough drama. We have to like bring in like a blood organ harvesting kind of conspiracy. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. But like- Which are there so many weird holes in where you're like, this is just not even a plausible thing. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But White Lotus did, I I agree with you in the sense that it took a moment for me to get there with this season. But like now that Albie, this like Albie, Lucia, what's the dad's? name again is it Bert or um, I don't know let me look it up I thought I... um okay wait you brought up an interesting question that I cannot stop thinking about which is mm-hmm. um tomorrow Dominic okay sorry Dominic is the dad's name Michael Imperioli's name but mm-hmm. like tomorrow or whatever tomorrow is in the show like will Lucia well, I'll be have to like Venmo Lucia for like that blowjob because. Oh my God. Like, is that gonna, is that where this is going? Like, he didn't know that she was a sex worker, or I mean, because she definitely didn't like 
really care about him. I don't know. I think she, I think it was like fun for her, but. I think it was her redemption arc because you see her having this like, like moment of guilt being like, I'm a bad person. I brought my friend into sex work. Like I've, you know, brought her, (laughs) you know, as she's, you know, I've like shown her the, the light of the devil. And so in an effort to like be wholesome and young and genuine, she like tries to have this like organic relationship. I don't think there's an expectation there of that's okay. like a transactional thing. Okay. Okay. I I mean, I, I like that read. I also think that it did feel like a moment for Lucia of just like, she has been like so looking for work and like really trying to like make something of this opportunity, like this opportunity of like, the resort being there and available to them, um, that her just like making, helping this guy make this other girl jealous was like something fun to do, honestly. Um, yeah. And it I, gave her, I also think she knows she has had nothing in her control, right? Like she's mm-hmm. always at the expense of these like wealthy businessmen who like tell her when, tell her where. And like, this is actually something that she can like, she has the power in a situation. So you know, she's looking at like this and she's like, okay, like I can actually, I'm in control of this. Like I can be with this guy. I can wear the pants. I can make this woman feel bad. Like, I, I think this is like something where she's like more of an active participant in, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think we're totally lying there. But I do think that whenever, I'm sure that Albie, like in his just whatever backwards mentality will like, be more upset that she's a sex worker and that he will feel betrayed by that. And really then he should feel like just weird that he and his dad have like slept with the same woman. I don't know if that's going to come out by the way. I don't, but I'm sure that I'll be, will feel some type of way because he's such like, I think he's an incel. Like he's, uh, I mean, the, agree. we're so close to that reveal and he will be so like feel betrayed, but then also feel like, I'm sure he'll like make it about himself and like kind of overanalyze it in some way where it's like, this is like has nothing to do with you, sweetheart. Like just move along. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, again, who's the villain? Who's the lesser of two evils? Because Portia is insufferable. But then like when you see like Albie trying to like be ballsy and be the man and like go on for the kiss, it's also like awkward. You're like, oh, like you're not really like reading the room because she doesn't really want that, you know? She's not... Yeah, allowing that to happen. I totally have gone out with Albies before. And it's just like, ugh, like show some initiative, like not to be rude, but like for every, I think the real problem for me in like that relationship is like, he just like has no like engine. He has nothing like, He's not like really like he's so awkward and like not really moving anything forward and like takes no um yeah just like takes no initiative in a way that I'm like okay yeah for however annoying I feel like Portia is like you're not really like like listening to her like coming up with any ideas Uh -uh. it's only when she's doing something that like you don't think that she should be doing like hanging out with Jack or whatever his name is you like start to like puff your chest and like get in your feelings it's like you don't own me like what I don't know yeah there's no there's also no groundwork for him to feel a type of way like that but I will say okay going back to the Porsche situation have you ever been an assistant to anybody Mm, no lucky because I have 
I, I was I was the EA to the CEO of a company that I ended up like climbing fast rankings of because I like won him over. But mm-hmm. he was a raging alcoholic who bankrupted the company. Like this is all like online. If you look it up, if you look at my LinkedIn, you could probably figure it out who it is. Um, like he was swindling money from the company. Like Vice bought us out. We went broke. There were like those are whole me too things, sexual allegations. He was just a mess and he hired me to like be his minder, essentially. Like I would go with him everywhere, like on every trip, even things I didn't need to be at. And he'd be like, Amaz, can you like come sit in my room and like make sure I fall asleep? Like he would, you know how she's like, can you just sit there while I fall asleep? I've done that. I've actually been somebody's minder. And it was like in a corporate environment too. It wasn't like I was you know, he's, I wasn't his personal assistant. I was his EA, like I was his executive assistant. And so like all of that to me, like, I don't know if I'm fucked in the head, but I was looking at that being like, oh, that's just like normal. That is like what happens when you work with like a totally unhinged person. That's wow. that's like the role. Like, what are you complaining about? This is exact, this is why you're getting, because it's kind of a, it's like a skillless job, right? Like, your job is to essentially do anything they want. Like you don't have it really a skill set or like that's irreplaceable. So mm-hmm. that like your only thing is to make that person happy. I do feel like there are some things to unpack there, but <gasps> um <laughs> you're like, I will talk to you offline. <laughs> um but but in as much yeah, I do think that for how- like I would have never been like, can I go have a day off and hang out with my friends if I was on a trip? My old boss. Yeah. Like, I was- like the times that I've traveled for work, I am like like when I was in Italy for succession, it's like, oh, if I have to be there all day, then I'm like there all day. Like mm-hmm. it's not like I will like make another plan or something. And I think that like as you know essentially a freelancer that sort of negotiation is like you have to like deal with that all the time where it's like oh I'm working so hard for three days because then I don't have to work like the next six days it's like that kind of push and pull um that I really just kind of don't for how like absurd Tanya can be she's like not asking Portia for like that much it's like can you have dinner with me and then just like sit with me and yeah, it sucks. Well, you'd rather be like out, you know, exploring. But at the same time, you're like on the clock right now. So, mm-hmm. And it's clear that your job is to be her companion. So like get a gratitude practice and stop fucking complaining. Because that's all we've had for four episodes. And I, it is giving nothing. It's giving you need therapy. And like, you want to hear something really funny too, is that I read this tweet and I was like, the costume designer hates Hayley Lou Richardson, like wh- whose boyfriend did she sleep with and like the um, d- wardrobe department's team to like to have been like had to endure all these like bad outfits. And oh it turns God. out that she's styling herself. I, quite as a cat, um, <laughs> I mean, that's how like that, I, I think that like Portia's clothes are like a perfect encapsulation of Portia, which is like kind of a random mismatch of like, Someone who obviously like wants to, you know, have this like corporatized like mass consumption, but like bohemian aesthetic, which mm-hmm. by that I mean just like shopping at Urban Outfitters, um, and thinks that that is like a personality. Because sometimes I'm like, 
like that shirt that she wore the other week. I was like, that looks like, like you look like you have a hunchback. Like that's like not. No, a, he has like, the, not, the sleeves. Yeah, I was like, that's like not um, cute. Like it, like I don't know why you would wear that, but mm-hmm. I do think that like she, you know, wants to kind of like dress as if she's like offbeat and like not one of them. But at the same time, she is just kind of, you know, codifying herself and like this other equally kind of strange and, you know, subculture of like its own social mores, which is just like a white girl in Williamsburg. Yep. Well, she's supposed to get it wrong. It's exactly what you said. Yeah. So I think that kind of makes sense to me. But um but yeah, and I was thinking too about like the clothes, like Harper versus like Daphne's clothes. I think that's kind of mm. something the same thing where it's like Harper wears like kind of plain dresses, but they are certainly expensive. And if she doesn't choose the most expensive thing, she justifies it in some way as like, you know, to be self-righteous where Daphne is like, I'll wear like the Prada, you know, set. And if people look at me, then like, that's kind of what I want. And she's just more honest with herself about like what her expectation is. I'm really going to like Daphne. I think that the last episode where they're in Noida, I'm like, oh, you're a sleeper. There's so much more to you than I thought. I have always liked her. I think she's like very just realistic. And even if she's like, this is fucked up, but I like the thing about I'm going, I like rented this villa and I'm like playing a game with my husband and I want him to like be like be jealous. Mm -hmm. It's like she knows exactly what it is where Harper still tries to like pretend as if she is like the better person like she's so invested in like cosplaying being good that she doesn't actually um actually interrogate her own desires or even like shortcomings or anything which again is fine I mean ignorance is bliss but she acts like she's better than everyone in a way that I'm like okay not having sex with your husband or whatever does not make you better than anyone or worse than anyone it's just like your own choice but I like that realistic aspect of you, you know, her her denial, like to acknowledge her own reality by like projecting onto someone else. Like I think that's totally. something that's so relatable, right? It's like, it's easier to hate on somebody else than like actually realistically look at what's going on in your life. And so yeah, it was nice to enjoy that a little bit it. too. I, yeah. Especially as like a, a woman who's like six months pregnant and newly married. And I was like watching those two like shut the fuck up, Daphne and the husband. I'm like, <laughs> please give me a break, you know? Um, I do, but, that, but again, I think that like something that we're both saying is that the push and pull between Harper and Daphne is way more interesting than like whatever, you know, Harper and Theo James's character sleeping together. It's like, I don't care about mm-hmm. that. I don't care. Yeah, I agree. The jealousy between the women and like the lack of like recognition between them is like what is ultimately like, most compelling to me. Speaking of women on the show, I need more from Valentina's character. She's not getting any love. I want more screen time of her. She's the, um, like, concierge. Mm-hmm. Right? It's okay. Valentina, is it? I think so, yeah. Think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, yeah. It's for how, it's funny because for how, like, just honestly so good and so, like, the lead of the show, um, Murray Bartlett was last season. What was his character's name again? I can't remember. I can't um, remember. Armand for how like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. for how prominent and like really leading it Armand was in season one Valentina's kind of like a sleeper this season I'm like oh I kind of like I forget about you know her a lot and other than really like not letting Lucia and her friend like 
and kind of like just kind of swatting them away. Um, that was like kind of her biggest, like, you know, goal or her biggest like uh, task this season so far, which is like kind of disappointing to me. So, like, I want to actually ask you a question about being a writer on a very successful show, Gossip Girl, or as you like to call it, Go Piss Girl, which like kind of pertains to this situation. You know, I'm like watching the show thing, like I want more of Valentina, right? As someone who, but she's not really getting that much. Like they're not giving us that much. They're not showing us much of her. She's in the first episode and then she's almost like a really supporting character in the remaining. When you're working on a show, um, what's the dynamic of the writer's room and where you're like developing characters, right? Like, is there ever, are you ever working on a story where you're like, I want to expand on this relationship or this situation or... You know, like, how does that work when you're developing a show? I think, I mean, I think like anything, it's sort of like a conversation. Um, On like the technical side, it's like, I mean, if someone is like a series regular or like a lead, you know, obviously they get more story and more time than someone who's like a guest star or like a recurring star, something like that. Like that's, and that's kind of like a, you know, money, like deal conversation. I don't know how that worked on White Lotus where it is like a, you know, anthology, but I think that sometimes like things just seem right for one character in a way that they wouldn't apply to another. But I do think it's like really case by case. I feel like with, um, with that character though, it could be that they're working on like a longer sort of simmering story. I think a lot of people, um, you know, it's like, you know how on Sex and City, it's like, we have like a very like Miranda heavy episode or like a very Mm. like Samantha heavy episode sometimes things like ebb and flow like that depending on like the arc of the season like who has had a lot of story hasn't had a lot of story um but I don't really think there's at least in my experience there's never like oh we've given this person like too much to do so like let's pull them back or something like that you know it really is like what best serves kind of the overarching like goal um or like the theme, but yeah, I think it is kind of, maybe she's just like not as big of a character this season. I don't know. I mean, did you watch, have you watched Rami's new season? No, I haven't. I was, it's funny. I was just thinking about that today that I need to like finish. It's really, so I, it's the season I appreciated the most because I always was fascinated by the other characters and I felt like they didn't develop them in the way I wanted to and this season it's really not about him at all and it's about his world and it just really works okay yeah and I want and I want to know I wonder like what that what the strategy or like was that a conscious decision or like how they went about it but it's just like he's hardly in it um What's and I'm always like curious with the dynamic of that, you know, like what, what like goes on behind the scenes? Like tell us the most unhinged thing that happens behind the scenes in a writer's room that we don't know about. Oh God. Give the people a tidbit, just a little crumb. Honestly, it's funny. I was thinking about the Rami thing because I read that he said in his writer's room, they don't have lunch and like that they start at like 11 and go until like two maybe. And that they just like have snacks in the room um, because he said that like um, lunch just like dries up the day. Like it just eats up so much of the day, literally. And I was like, wait, tea. Because like the biggest, I feel like um, back and forth are always like where we're going to get lunch. And I'm like, I always want Jones on third. <laughs> but like that, 
the back and forth about like what lunch we're gonna get is actually like upsettingly and boringly like the most you know dramatic part of the day honestly I feel mm-hmm. like in the gossip girl room we are pretty aligned on knowing what the show is knowing what the expectations are on what the characters want and stuff so um that stuff is like pretty straightforward is that there because uh, coming from magazines it's like that was my like mm-hmm. biggest adjustment it's coming from magazines mm-hmm. it's like, I'm so used to saying it ask, writing, leaving, coming back, you know, whatever. And then it's like, oh my God, this is like a group project where we're all like working on this thing together. Yeah. And all on the same page, it sounds like. Yeah. Cause, cause in the editorial, you're not, you're not. Everybody's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's just off doing them, what they think is the best version of something. And then you come back together and it'll get scrapped and then you do it again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. And then like something falls through at the last minute and it's like, what are we going to do? Um, a lot less of like that kind of day-to-day panic. Okay, quick, quick sum up because um, yes. I know you're you a working girl and you have things to do. What is your take on the whole Nepo baby discourse? That's, mm. that's, um, is that going to feature in the newsletter or it's not, it's not hung up material? I, I don't know. Um, maybe. I mean, I never know it's going to be featured in the newsletter mm-hmm. and I write it. Um, I want to know your thoughts on the Harry and Olivia breakup because, I mean, you put DWD on everybody's radar. I truly <laughs> believe that it was, a, it was a very, it was like, were you part of the PR strategy? We need to know. Um, no. <laughs> I, listen, I love mess. And like, that was just a yeah. messy movie. It's funny because I did see it twice and had the time of my life both times. Like mm-hmm. both times I was like laughing. I think like the movie is funny both intentionally and in spite of its own like self-seriousness. Um, but, you know, it's funny because I do think that the Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles relationship is not so dissimilar from like Love is Blind where mm-hmm. there is like so much attention and expectation and such like a pressure cooker of emotions, like this love sort of flourishes that nothing can like sustain that really. Mm. No, I mean, that's like, cause you start dating while you're making a movie together. Um, you weather all this like public scrutiny. Um, it's kind of, you know, some warranted, some not. Um, but it's just like an impossible situation to have a relationship in, I feel like. So, so do you feel like it was a PR stunt or a real relationship? No, I mean, honestly, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, if I, and by extension, the newsletter, have one sort of, like, guiding principle, it's that, like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't like this, like, Dumois, it's, like, honestly very Q, QAnon adjacent to me, mm-hmm. that, like, everything is, like, conspiracy, everything is a murder board, everything is, like, chestnut checkers. It's like most people, honestly, are very dumb and <laughs> make stupid decisions and date people they shouldn't or, you know, do things that are bad and that they come to regret and like try to spin it. But most of these things like are real and just are messy. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I believe that they really dated and I believe that they really broke up because how could you stay together through all of this? Yeah. I mean, I think there was too much mess for it to be a stunt. Like you have the nanny, you, you know, like, telling 
people that Olivia yeah. gave away her rescue dog. And like, it was just so specifically detailed that I was yeah. like, there's no way. I mean, okay, so do, do you think that, okay, question. Do you think that the divorce papers were served um, spitefully, like while she was on stage? Or did you think that was just the timing of how it happened? Honestly, that one I go back and forth on because mm-hmm. as much as like, you know, how people serve papers is, it's like not usually up to like the clients. Jason mm. Sudeikis is like choice. Um, just logistically, I've never heard of that happening before. Um, that was like so messy. And mm-hmm. there, I don't know. I mean, I think that people are not, um, I think that the, you know, sort of anti-Livia Wild sentiment has let Jason Sudeikis off the hook for a lot. Because, like, some of the stuff that was, like, leaked from his team or whatever, I was kind of like, this is, like, not very chill. Like, No, he, did he, like, lie under the hood of her car, the nanny, and, like, refuse to let her leave? And Yeah, that <laughs> was part of it. And there's something that was, like, you know, I didn't want her to be, I didn't want Olivia Wilde to be served this way. I wanted her... But, like, how else would we have served her, like, when she's leaving her boyfriend's house? And it's, like, the framing of that is just, like, so needlessly petty and cruel. Like, really, you can't find anywhere else to serve her other than her job or her boyfriend's house? Mm -hmm. That is, that cannot be true, you know? Um, When Daily Mail can find these people literally anywhere, like, be serious. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. But people love Ted Lasso, which... I never watched it actually, but I do want to. I like season one a lot. Season two, I was like less enthusiastic about. I actually, it actually um, made me want to watch the show when I like got into this whole mess of everything. I'm like, oh, I'd like to know. Don't darling. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I went to, like, we were in the first row because I was like, there's no way. I love opening night. Like, I love being in that collective energy of a movie theater where like everyone's yelling and laughing and shouting and like you're going through this experience together I think that's why you go to the movies so I sat in the front row Hunter like I was literally like this my Alicia and I like had recliner seats and like and I'm pregnant so like my feet were like resting on my stomach and I was like it's worth it um oh my god I thought it was a great movie um I will that was a risk that was a situation I was willing to make my child just had to suffer um (laughs) during the movie um I actually thought like drama aside it was a great movie and it probably would have got more accolades if it wasn't so like embroiled in I think that the drama actually hurts the movie because like no one's actually talking about the film um and so I'm with you on the fact that I don't really think that a lot of this is PR because, you know, it like dilutes all the actors' work um, and like what the movie was about. I disagree. I feel like a lot of drama like this, Mm -hmm. um, I think it makes people more interested. It's like even people- But no one's talking about the film. Yeah, but they're watching the movie. I mean, what does that mean? Like, they're watching it. That's, like, what's most important. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, Don't Worry Darling, I think, is, like, performing well on HBO Max, you know, I think that's meaningful and important. Um, But, you know, there's, like, there's stuff that 
it's kind of like the looky loo effect, right? Where it's like you want to like see the bad thing, or like see what is like causing so much, you know, conversation just to like see for yourself. And I think that works in a movie's favor a lot of times. Um, but, you know, I ultimately think the movie was like not that good um, other than like in a fun way, like altering the premise is like just kind of stupid to me. Um, but, but yeah. I do have to go because I have a flight like in an hour. <laughs> we did speak for two hours about everything under the sun. Um, so we're going to love and leave you, my little unhingies. What an honor it is to have the iconic and amazing Hunter Harris here. If you're not subscribed to her newsletter, do yourself a favor. It will be in the episode description link this week. We will be having you back. So expect to see... <laughs> Slash hear her soon again. Thank you for your time. We are going to love and leave you, everybody. Ciao for now. Thank you. Bye.